Hey, hey there, creepy crawlers. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Creep Academy. As always, I'm your host, Gasly Ash. I'm hoping you're all getting into the swing of the work week because I really absolutely am not. I don't know if it's because I'm getting slammed with winter colds and flus back to back or because I'm just used to the holiday schedule we just had, but I'm definitely not feeling the usual pep in my step the past few days. But something good did come out of it this time though, as I spent a lot of time reading a ton of awesomely eerie stuff that's going to make awesome episodes for the future. And while I was doing that, I accidentally came across this insane story that I'm going to share with you today, and hopefully it'll get you through your work or school day a little bit easier. It's about the Morovia Cannibal Sisters. As I did with my first podcast, I want to preface this episode with a trigger warning, as it does involve some very graphic descriptions of child abuse, so this is an area, if you're sensitive about it, you may want to skip over this podcast specifically. So, true crime is something that I can get completely over-enthralled with. I can kind of fall down the rabbit hole of it for hours, and I've read a ridiculous amount of books on the subject, and I'm obsessed with things like the ID channel, like I'm sure many of you are. So, I'm not easily disturbed, but this story was kind of just shocking to me when I first read it. I came to learn that it, along with another weird case, was inspiration for the horror movie The Orphan. Which is crazy in and of itself, but that's nowhere near pink insanity that this story delves into. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself with that little tidbit of information, so let's just jump into the depths here. In 2005, 31-year-old Clara Morova, a young mother of two, lived in a small countryside town called Kirim in the Czech Republic. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly. I hope I am. I tried to check, but if not, apologies. But by all accounts, up to this point, she was a really caring mother to her two sons, Andre, who was six, and Jacob, who was eight. They would often be seen outside playing together, she was doting on them, just loving them in the way that a mother really should. And they went to great schools, she sent them off to summer camps, celebrated their birthdays in extravagant ways, you name it. However, somewhere along the way, Clara began telling people, especially her husband at the time, that she was destined to quote-unquote fulfill a mission for God. Her sister, she said, also had a mission too. This kind of crazy ranting took a toll on her relationship with her husband and it caused him to leave her and her two sons alone. And she was alone for a while like that until one day when her sister showed up with a young 13-year-old girl in tow. Katerina told Clara that the girl's name was Annika and she was an orphan from Norway who was on the run from a gang of sex traffickers. In addition to the residual effects from the abuse, Katerina also told Clara that Anika was chronically ill, stating she was afflicted with leukemia and kidney failure, as well as in the beginning stages of losing her sight and hearing. Being a mom, Clara took pity on this young girl and decided to offer to take her under her wing and care for her. And since Annika was so ill, it would stand to reason that she would require a lot of hospital care, which Clara was up to helping with. But Whenever Clara tried, her sister Katerina would refuse to allow her to do so and would insist on taking Annika to the appointments herself. I'm sure many of you are already noticing that this would be a huge red flag on its own, but it starts to get even more odd because while at the hospital, Annika's doctor would call Clara multiple times a day and ask her to speak to Annika when she was quote unquote unconscious so that she could hear her mother's voice. Clara also began receiving text messages from this mysterious doctor, claiming only he knew how to administer the proper treatments to Annika and that she should only heed his advice. 
It was later mentioned that Clara had only met this doctor once in person. It was very late at night. He was sitting in a dark car and only handed her Annika's medical files out the window as well as quickly flashed a diplomatic passport. So she was unable to see his face. She couldn't really make out any distinctive features. So admittedly, that sounds really shady, I'm sure, to all of us. But Clara stated that, quote, I know it sounds naive, but the fact he was a diplomat and a doctor was the guarantee of authority for me. I trusted him, end quote. So as she receives a text from this doctor, he begins to suggest different types of, quote, special treatments that will supposedly be one of the ways to only be able to help Annika. One of them included rubbing her body specifically her crotch area for sometimes hours until Annika was happy. By now it was around 2006 and Clara and her two sons had moved in with Katerina and Annika in a small yellow cottage and the three women were rumored to have started to become involved with a cult called the Grail Movement. The cult expressed belief that their members could get into heaven by doing good deeds, however they also believed that they were absolved to commit crimes as long as it led to what they perceived as a greater good. That's already super ominous for those of you who are familiar with stories like this. But suffering of any kind was also seen as a path to righteousness. And I tried to look up the Grail movement on my own, but when I looked into this movement, all I found was a page written in German. And when translated, contain your run-of-the-mill divine Christian type of rhetoric. But that's not really saying all that much, as it was kind of stated in the documents of the trial that this cult was an offshoot of the Grail movement, so it wasn't specifically the Grail movement itself. And obviously cults won't outright say they're cults on the website, so it's really not saying much. The mixture of her preoccupation with this cult mentality and her idea that she had a divine mission from God, along with her constant attention to Annika, made Clara begin to ignore and neglect her sons who were now spending more time with their grandparents at the time. Clara still, trying to help Annika, decides to officially try to adopt her. But surprise, surprise, the doctor tells Clara that it wouldn't be possible to adopt because authorities wouldn't allow it due to the reports that Clara's boys have been mistreating Annika. Now, remember, these boys are young and Annika's supposed to be around 13 or 14 by now, so that doesn't make sense and it doesn't add up. But anyway, he suggests that Clara needs to, quote, cure the boys from evil spirits and recommends discipline in the form of physical punishments. The three women, Clara, Katerina, and Annika, began beating the boys mercilessly for no reason with belts and wooden spoons and locks them in the closet or bathroom for days at a time. As time goes by, Clara states the doctor informs her that the current forms of punishment are no longer working and they need to escalate it in order to teach the boys to better receive their teachings. The women then take the boys to a small home where they're then kept in dog cages where they could only kneel and given no blankets or anything soft to lay on. They were starved, beaten, and sexually assaulted and not allowed to even speak with each other while in these cages. In addition, the boys were constantly tortured by being burned by cigarettes, given electric shocks, scratched with forks, whips, and even brought to the verge of death via drowning while Annika held their heads underwater and Katerina held the boys' hands behind their backs. And just when it seems like it possibly couldn't get any worse for these poor boys, they were separated and cuffed into separate areas of the cellar and left in the dark. They were also forced to sleep in their own urine, vomit, and feces, and it was later stated that if the boys would vomit, they would be forced to eat it. According to testimony, they were also made to recite obscene texts, cut and burn each other, and the boys were allegedly forced to lay also in shallow graves that they had dug themselves. 
The torture then culminated in the women deciding to force feed the boys to make them gain weight. After a few weeks of this, the women decided to hold Andre down, the youngest of the boys, as he screamed and pleaded while carving out a large chunk of flesh from his buttocks. The women then proceeded to eat the raw flesh in front of the boys, as well as forcing both boys to consume the flesh as well. They did this also, I was reading, with their leg as well, so it wasn't just that once, it happened often. Clara also had installed a baby monitor over the boys that streamed to a monitor in the kitchen so that she could keep an eye on them and watch the torture from there as it occurred. And that very monitor actually would be the key to their undoing. On May 7th, 2007, a new father that lived nearby named Edouard began installing a video baby monitor for his home as well in order to watch his newborn son. I'm sure many of you know who have experienced baby monitors of any kind, they're extremely susceptible to interference, especially if there's another monitor of the same manufacturer nearby. And because of this, Edouard's monitor mixed up the signal and picked up Clara's video feed instead and he began to make out videos of Andre laying naked on the floor with his hands chained behind his back and eating from the concrete floor like a dog. He could also just make out a female's hand almost off screen dropping food in to feed him. Edouard called the police immediately, but because there was no way to pinpoint the signal, it took them a while to find the house because they had to go house to house in the surrounding area in order to find where it was coming from. When the police finally reached Clara and Katerina's home, the women were said to be very cooperative up to the point where they discovered a cellar door. The police asked them to open this door and they refused, which obviously spurred the police to kick the door down. What they found was Andre laying naked in a small section and hogtied. He was bruised, bloody, and cut up, surrounded by urine, feces, and vomit, and Jacob was in a similar condition. They found Annika in a normal child's room in a normal part of the house full of toys. The police arrested the women and informed the kids that they would be handed over to a place for children called the Klokkanek. I don't think that I'm pronouncing that right, but it translates to little kangaroo, so it's a children's home for abused children. But before they could get to Annika, she had run away, apparently back to Norway. So you would think this would be almost the end of the story other than the, dr the trial and the sentencing, but it's not. It gets even more weird because as the investigators began diving into the case, they discovered that Annika's real name was said to be Barbara Skrlova, and she was actually 33 years old. She had a glandular problem that made her look younger than she was and it allowed her to con people into thinking she was a child because apparently in her past in Norway she was kind of prone to getting into trouble a lot and she would use that excuse to get lighter sentences instead of being an adult tried for adult crimes. It's also rumored that her father Joseph was the man who started the Grail movement and even posed as the doctor that Clara had been texting previously although there was no evidence to help prove the latter and convict him in any way. She was later apprehended at a school in Oslo, posing to be a 13-year-old boy named Adam. Barbara, or Annika's, psychological exam confirmed by experts in the field of sexology and psychology confirmed that she was the main initiator of the events that took place. She was able to present herself in various roles and was skilled at emotionally blackmailing people. After her arrest in Norway, police confiscated her diary where she was describing the details of her various identities, how she prepared herself, and the acts that she participated in. Experts concluded that despite using schizophrenia as a defense, she did not suffer from this or similar diseases, as evidenced by the fact that she carefully crafted and kept track of all these multiple identities in order to manipulate people. Schizophrenics don't do that. 
So according to the experts in the trial, she was diagnosed with histrionic personality disorder. For those of you who aren't familiar with what that is, it's characterized by a pattern of excessive attention-seeking emotions, usually beginning in early adulthood, including inappropriately seductive behavior and an excessive need for approval. She was also stated to have a strong inclination toward manipulative behavior. Professionals also concluded that she had sadomasochistic predispositions with pedophilic orientation, which in other words means she's sexually stimulated whilst watching the torture of children, which is, in my opinion, one of the most disgusting things ever. In July of 2008, after a lengthy trial and one-month recess, the women were sentenced as follows. Clara Morova, the boy's mother, was sentenced to nine years. Katerina Morova, the aunt, was sentenced to ten years. Barbara, or Annika, was sentenced to five years. Three others were also sentenced for having either participated in the torture or for not reporting their knowledge of the torture. Those three individuals were Jan Skurla, Anika's brother. He got seven years. And two associates, Jan Turek, got five years, and Hannah Basova got seven. All of them are actually now out of prison on time served, which is insane to me, as I'm sure it sounds insane to all of you, especially in the case of Annika, because those diagnoses that she got seems like she needs a lot more help than maybe she received during that small amount of time, and they don't know where she is now, which is really concerning. I couldn't really find a whole lot on the two boys, the survivors, but I did find one report regarding them, and Andre had stated to that journalist, quote, If you get hurt by someone who took advantage of your trust, learn to forgive and take that person as the biggest teacher of yours. Because if your life is going smoothly, you become a delicate person. If, on the other hand, you experience tragic circumstances, you develop inner power and courage to face them. End quote. It's definitely a powerful statement and I commend him for taking his power back, but I really also hope they stay far, far away from those insane women and are continuing to get the psychological help that I'm sure they're needing because things like that can kind of come back, I'm sure, to haunt them in the future. So there are tons of photos of this case, which I'll share some on my website, but just be warned, a couple of them are very unsettling. But if you're morbidly curious as I am, just go ahead and head over to creepacademypodcast.com and check them out. Also, if you have any ideas you think would be awesome for a future show, please feel free to reach out to me via the website or by the Creep Academy Instagram page at Creep Academy Cast. I'll definitely look them over and kind of pick and choose. I'm sure you guys all have a ton of stories that I haven't heard about. But that's it for today. See you all next week. Same bat day, same bat channel.